So the Bible says, in fact, let's turn there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, says, For as many as are the promises of God. So that means we're not just talking about one of his promises, right? As many as are the promises of God. He's saying there are a lot of promises, and for every single one in him, in Jesus, they are yes. He's already stamped that promise with approved yes. Therefore, also through him, through Jesus, is our amen. And we talked about last week that that amen in, in, in Hebrew was, was meant to refer to you saying not just, not just that's true, not just that's right, but so be it. I agree. I, I, I put my whole self behind it. It was you signing at the bottom of the document saying, I agree. So be it in my life. Let it be done as you say. You know, that's what Mary did when the angel visited Mary and said, you're going to have a, a child. She said, well, how can this be? He said, she said, I'm a virgin. How can I have a kid? And he says, is there anything impossible for God? Is there anything too hard for God? And her answer to him after he told her what was going to happen was, let it be done to your bondservant. Behold your bondservant. Let it be done just as you say. Let it be done. In my Bible, it says, let it be done according to your word. Just as you say, so let it be in my life. You know, God is looking for willing people. God's looking for people that will agree with him. You know, you don't have to agree with every book you've ever read. You don't have to agree with every CD you've ever listened to. But you do have to agree with him. That's, that's kind of a, that's, that's a big part of the deal. He, he's, he's given us all these free things. Do you know when he died on the cross, the Bible says he died for the sins of the world. He died for every single sin that would ever be committed. He paid the full price for humanity. But the Bible says that the only way to be saved is to believe on him, confess him as Lord, and receive that gift of salvation by faith. It says without faith, you can't please God. It says without faith, you can't be saved. So what God gives us, the gift of God, the promises of God, we call that the grace of God. It's free. It's doing what you couldn't do. It's the power that you couldn't muster up. It is what you couldn't be. That's the grace of God. But the way to receive the grace of God is by faith. The Bible says that God is not willing. It's not his will that people would perish. But the Bible also says that people are perishing. It says his will is that everyone would come to the saving knowledge of him. But that's not happening with everybody. Why? Because God's already, he's already promised it. He's already paid for it. It's already done. But you have to receive it by faith. His grace has already been given. Full measure. More than you can handle. It's already been given. But you have to receive it by faith. So when God says all of his promises are yes... Through Jesus. He says, through Jesus, we have our amen. We stamp on our amen to the promises of God. And when we do that, the glory of God is shone through us. So isn't this awesome? That, that, that in order for God's promises to really be real in your life, you've got to get on board with them. The Bible says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Did you have to do anything to get an inheritance? I mean, like, did you have to pay for an inheritance? 
Maybe you said there was a Nigerian prince. He emailed me. He said, all I have to do is send him a little bit of money, and then he's got, he's got millions for me. Well, you were a victim of an email scam. But in real life, a real inheritance, you don't have to pay for it. It's yours. What do you have to do? You just go pick it up. You have to, you have to you inherit it, but you really didn't earn it. An inheritance is not something you earn unless you say, oh, I earned it. I, I, you, don't know how many, you don't know how many Thursdays I spent with that old guy. I mean, I just, I earned that inheritance. That's, that would be a bad attitude. And you are a gold digger. If that's your attitude. No, you didn't earn an inheritance. It was given, right? So he says that the promises are meant to be inherited, not earned. There's a difference. You earn your wages. You earn your salary. But you don't earn an inheritance. What he's given you, you couldn't earn. The inheritance he has for you, you couldn't possibly earn. He paid a debt you couldn't possibly pay. So, I mean, here's the deal. You either say, well, I, I, I just, I don't deserve any of this, and you go on, and you just crawl in a hole and, and, and live a miserable life, or you embrace the fact that he loved you enough to do what you couldn't do and to give you what you couldn't get yourself, and you just receive it by faith. I mean, how many of us have said, I don't deserve the love of God? You'd be absolutely right. But he's given his love for you. He loved you while you were still a sinner. He didn't wait till he did something right. It says while we were still sinners, he died for us. He loved us at the right time he died for us. He loved us while we were unlovable. You did nothing to earn that love. So what do we do? We just receive that love. The Bible says in 1 John, we've come to know and to believe. And to believe the love of God. You've got to know it and you've got to believe it. Praise God. So all these promises are yours to inherit, but how do you inherit them? By faith and patience. Patience doesn't just mean waiting. Patience means endurance, perseverance. Don't don't give up. Don't fall away. Don't go back. Stay there and stand there until what you've been promised comes. We inherit His promises by faith and patience. So here it says that when God gave us His promises, He says, and we come back to Him and say, can I, can I rely on that promise? He says, yes, you can. When we pray and say, Lord, I'm standing on this promise if it was an application form sent to God, it would come back stamped approved through Jesus Christ. Yes, my answer is always yes, he says. If I've already promised it, my answer to you is yes. But our part is to say amen. That's not just what you say. It's what you believe. It's what you live. You have to be a living amen to the promises of God. Every breath, every move has got to be saying, I believe what you said. I'm relying on what you said. Have you ever seen a trapeze artist? You ever seen when they, when they work together and, and, and that one person at some point has to let go of one bar and just trust that that other person's going to catch them, right? And you can't do both. You can't hang on to this bar and then try to grab their hand. It doesn't work. In order to, to, to really complete that, that acrobatic act, that person has to swing and let go of every security they have and trust that that other person is faithful and strong enough to catch them. 
You see, God is both of those things. He's faithful and he's strong enough. Can he do it? Absolutely. Will he do it? If he said so, yes. So is he able and is he faithful? Those are two questions that Abraham had to ask himself. The Bible says that he said, I mean, he looked at his own body, he said as good as dead. He looked at Sarah's womb and says that she can't get the job done. And it says that he knew that God was able to raise the dead and he considered God who was faithful. He considered that he was faithful to his word, that he kept his promises. And it says with respect to the promise of God, he believed and did not grow weary, did not waver in unbelief. So here's the deal. You've got to let go of that trapeze. You've got to let go of that bar of your own security. Let go and believe that God's answer is, yes, I will catch you if you jump. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out on the water. Do you notice once he gets out on the water and he starts to sink, he doesn't say, Lord, we're sinking. He doesn't say, Lord, the waves are so bad. You and I are going to die. Why? Because he doesn't, he doesn't fear for Jesus. He knows Jesus is fine. His doubt came in. His doubt was not in the power of God. His doubt was in the power of God working through him. He's not afraid for Jesus' life. He's confident in the power of Jesus. But here's the disconnect. Me, can I, can I be used? Can, can that power work in me? Can I stay above the waves? And a lot of times, we will, we will, with our lip service, say, God, I know you can do it. To something he's already promised, you'll say, I know you can do it. I'm not sure if you're going to do it this time. And what you're doing is you're saying, God, I know you're able, but I don't know if you're faithful. But you've got to know both of those things. He's able. He's faithful. Amen. And so my amen is not just saying amen. Sometimes it's letting go and just jumping. That's my amen to him. Okay, I'm just jumping. Romans 10 says that Paul was praying for his, his old rabbinical school buddies, his old, his old roommates, his old friends. He said their problem is this. He says their problem is that seeking to establish their own righteousness, they neglect the righteousness of God. Trying to do it themselves, they don't let go and trust in God who's already done it. And you can't have it both ways. You either hold on to your righteousness or you let go and you hold on to his. But you can't have it both ways. So our amen is not just saying amen when you agree with something. Your amen, you live it out with your life and say, I believe you. I'm going to stand here although it looks crazy. I mean, Noah, how did he say amen to God? How did he say amen to God? When God said build an ark, everybody's going to call you crazy because it's never rained. He builds an ark looks crazy, and he doesn't just, here's the deal, Noah didn't just build an ark by himself, he made his kids help, right? And sometimes you're like, when you're a single person, you can be crazy. You know, I remember feeling like, you know what, I don't care if I have to sleep under a bridge, I'm fine, I just, I would just go out, I want to do the will of God, and I'll do whatever it takes, but when you have a wife and a baby, sometimes it's harder to step out in faith, because you know you're responsible for them too. But a godly man trusts in God so much, he says, all right, guys, we can believe God. We can trust in him. So he says, kids, you're going to help me. But they're going to make fun of us. Doesn't matter. They're making fun of me. They're making fun of you. Who would you rather, who would you rather be impressed with? Who would you rather, uh, whose approval would you rather have, their approval or God's approval? Because you've got to pick one. We're either going to look stupid to them or stupid to God. And God knows more than they don't. 
And he's going to be around a lot longer than they are. <laughs> well, if you were in, if you were, if you just ventured on to Rexall Place. Is it still called Rexall Place? Yeah. You ventured on to Rexall Place and somebody came by for a visit. What do you know? That's Wayne Gretzky. He came back to visit his old stomping grounds. He came back to kiss his own statue or whatever. He goes, <laughs> I was just kidding. Well, there's Wayne. At the same time, same time that you see Wayne, there's some guy sweeping the floor. Now, we know in God's eyes the guy sweeping the floor is just as valuable as Wayne, right? But for the sake of this metaphor, let's just play. Wayne Gretzky's in the room. Guy sweeping the floor in the room. And let's just say you got to impress one of them, but you can't impress both of them. Who are you more likely to try to impress? Wayne Gretzky. Why? Because he's a great one. Because this guy is, this guy's done something. This is a guy I admire. This is a guy I respect. Now take that and multiply it by like a million, 10 million, when you realize that there's people, and as much as I love them, as much as I care about them, as much as I want them to know the Jesus that I know, there's some times where they're not going to like what you're doing, they're not going to approve, they're not going to understand you, and that's okay. Who would you rather impress, the king of all creation, or somebody that's going to change their mind every five minutes anyways? I mean, come on. I'd rather have his approval. And so our amen is so important. Abraham had to leave his home. That was his way of saying amen to God, was leaving his home and just setting out, not knowing where he was going. That's trust, guys. So last week, that was, <laughs> that was summing up last week. Wow. That took a while to sum up last week, didn't it? But this week, we want to talk a little bit about that too. But I want to talk about uh, not just our saying amen to God, not just our amen with him, but our amen, our amen, I'm going to use both those words because I understand that in Hebrew it's amen, but we always say amen, so you know what I mean. But we need to say amen to the word of the Lord with each other. We need to agree not just with God, but with each other agreeing with him. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This morning we're going to learn a little bit about saying amen agreeing with one another in prayer, the power of agreement. And we're also going to learn a little bit about praying in other tongues. Is that all right? How many of you have ever had questions about praying in tongues? You had some questions. Well, I believe you're going to get some answers. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 14. Now, somebody might have quoted you First Corinthians 14, and they might have quoted little bits and pieces of it, and you might have thought, oh man, I'm more confused than when I started. But I want us to read, so that you're not confused, we're going to read the whole, this whole section from verse 1 to verse 20, or verse, yeah, verse 1 to verse 19. Now watch this, he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. In the literal Greek, it just says desire earnestly spiritual, spiritual things but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Can somebody tell me when the first time people spoke in, another, people spoke in tongues, when was the first time that ever happened in the Bible? Day of Pentecost, right? Now, 
Some folks have read that and read into that and figured, well, this is what speaking in tongues is for. It's a translator service. If I'm in China and I don't know Chinese, that maybe I could summon up this gift and speak to Chinese people in a the language they understand. That's well-intentioned, but it's not what the Bible says. Because if you read what I just read, what does it say? People who speak in tongue do not speak to men. If somebody told you speaking in tongues is just so that, uh, so that people in other languages understand you, you've got to explain to me why it says you're not talking to people. The goal of speaking in tongues is not to talk to people, but to God. So it's not a translator service for you, although we're going to explain what happened in the day of Pentecost. You know, in the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room, they were praying, the Holy Spirit came, there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind, flames of fire appeared over their heads, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they all come out and are speaking in other tongues. And they're all speaking in other tongues. But it says that there are many different nations gathered. In fact, let me read it to you real quick. In Acts chapter 2, you don't have to turn it, but you can if you want. In Acts chapter 2, and hold your place, if you're turning, hold your place in 1 Corinthians 14. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, it says this. In verse 5, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Does it say they were each speaking in those people's languages? No, it says they were hearing them. It says they were hearing them plural. Each one was hearing that group, the whole group, speak in his language. How is that possible? Now, I want to show you how many groups of people there were. It says, and how is it, verse 8, it says, why are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8, how is it that we can hear them in our own language? It says, we can hear them in our own language to which we were born. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Can you count how many language groups there are here? In their mother tongue. Now, they've all learned how to speak Greek, probably. They're living in Jerusalem, so they probably, if they're good Jews, they probably learn how to speak Hebrew. And it says there were Jews and proselytes. So that means there were native Hebrew people and there were people that, uh, I mean, that, that were just converted after. But it says they heard it in the tongue from the place that they were born. They weren't all hearing it in Hebrew. They weren't all hearing it in Greek. If they had been hearing, if these guys were just speaking in Hebrew, don't you know that people wouldn't, in Jerusalem wouldn't have accused them of seeming to be drunk? That they'd seem quite normal? But he says, how is it? They said, here's what's amazing. If they were all speaking in Hebrew, it wouldn't have been a miracle that we could all hear them. But it says, how is it that we're hearing them, each one of us, we're hearing them in our own native language? And look how many languages are named. Now, there were 120 people in the upper room, 120. Can you imagine 120 people speaking a mixture of all these languages at the same time? Would you be able to understand anything they were saying? Would you be able to pick it out and go, oh, I think I heard something? You wouldn't. It would just be a blah, big mess. Here's what happened on the day of Pentecost. 
as they began to pray in other tongues, they were drawn to the sound of these tongues. And when they got there, these people were speaking in a heavenly language. They were speaking a language no one could understand, but the Holy Spirit ministered to the hearer so that they could each hear it in their own language. The Holy Spirit was the divine translator. They weren't speaking in the language of the uh, Pamphylians. They weren't speaking in the language of the Persians. They weren't speaking in the language of the Parthians. They were speaking in the language of heaven. And everybody heard it in their own language. See, the miracle was not in the speaking. The miracle was in the hearing. Well, miracle was in the speaking too, but the, the miracle that they could hear was in their ears. You know, God can still do that today. And he still does do that. But here it says, there's, that, that was a public use of that gift. But he says, and, and we're going to find out, 1 Corinthians 14, there's, a, there's time for praying just to God, and there's a time for that gift to be used in public. And when it's used in public, the Bible says that somebody's got to interpret this. Because if I'm talking to you, I want to communicate a point to Barry here, and I just start speaking in tongues, Barry's not going to understand what I'm saying. He may smile, he may nod. But if I'm talking to him, I need to talk to him in a language he can understand. Now here, back in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, The one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men. So this is not for you, it's for God. I mean, it's for you personally, but it's not for everybody else. We don't speak in tongues to be able to communicate with one another. We're doing that to communicate to God. It says, it says, He who speaks in other tongues does not speak to men. But he speaks to God, and it says, for no one understands. Do you hear that? No one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, isn't that awesome? Our God is a God who understands and reveals mysteries. In your spirit, you're speaking mysteries to who? To God. Who are you talking to? You're talking to God. You're not talking to people, you're talking to God. So that's why right now, I'm talking to you in English, because that's the language you speak. I'm not going to sit up here and, and speak in, for half an hour in tongues to you. That would do you no good. That wouldn't edify you, because you can't understand it, unless someone interpreted it for you. Now, that would be a, a, a long time of them interpreting, <laughs> if it was half an hour. So look, it says, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Verse 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. Can someone tell me what edification means? You're being built up. You guys know the word. Praise God. You are being built up. So when I'm talking to you right now, the goal is that you'd be built up. And exhortation. And consolation. So this means when I hear this, I'm going to be built up. I'm going to be fired up. And I'm going to be healed up. That this word is going to do something in me. It's going to build me up. It's going to get me excited to go out. And it's going to encourage and comfort me when I need that. Thank God. In the next verse in, in verse 4, it says, One who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. What is this? this means when you're praying in tongues, you're building yourself up. It's not a waste of time. You're not just building God up. You're edifying yourself. If you feel torn down, if you feel like you need some strength, if you feel like you need to be built up, and there's no one around you to encourage you, you really need to begin to pray in tongues. 
Because one who does that builds himself up. Jude says, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Thank God. Next verse, verse 5. Now I wish you all spoke in tongues. And when he says I wish, he's not saying I wish. Wouldn't that be nice if you all did? Some people read it that way and they think this means, boy, wouldn't it be nice if everybody had that gift? Now he's saying my desire for you is that you all would. You all should. Now you may say, well, what about the verse in, in chapter 12? It says not everyone speaks in a tongue. Well, in chapter 12, he's talking about the gifts in the body, the order of the church. And you know what? In a church service, not everybody gives up and gets a me- gives a message in tongues. There's a gift in the body of Christ called the gift of tongues. And that is to give a prophecy in tongues and someone else interpret it in the native language. How many of you have seen that happen in church? You love when David and Jean come and they, they work together like that? Don't you love that? That's called the gift of, gift of tongues with interpretation. Now, that's powerful. That's a prophetic gift. And not everybody does that in one service. Now, you've got the Holy Spirit inside you. If he wants to use you that way, you will all have the Holy Spirit that can do that. But not everybody does that in the church, and not everybody, that's your primary ministry. But he says, here, I, my desire for you is that you all would speak in tongues. Now, if you, if you still need some further proof on that, look, at, look through the book of Acts and find out every instance where somebody was filled with the Spirit, where somebody was baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are three big incidents in the Bible. There's the day of Pentecost. There's when Peter's at Cornelius' house. And there was when Paul is talking to the Ephesians. And every single time, they all are filled, and they all begin speaking in tongues. All of them. Now, if God was picking, it's weird that in all of these three, our only instances where he, he nails it down. And don't think that's the only time it happened, but if you tell the same story three times, you should get it by now. You know what I mean? Like, not every time somebody was healed is it recorded in the Bible. doesn't mean it, only these people were healed. It just means I've made my point. You know what I mean? John said, John says, there's a lot more I could write to you, but there are not enough books in the whole world that fill these things that Jesus did. So if you just think Jesus did the miracles you're reading, you're missing out. He says he did a lot more, but I can't fit it in all the books in the world. Thank God. So why is it that every time we see somebody baptized in the Holy Spirit, the whole group of them start speaking in tongues? It's because it's God's will for all of them. It's God's will for all of you. Man, you guys were a little weak on that, amen. It's God's will for all of you. Isn't that good? This is a gift. It's not a duty. It's a gift. Thank God he liked you enough to give you all the gift. (laughs) Amen. (sighs) It's a burden we have to bear up. Wish I went to a church and didn't believe this stuff. It'd be easy. Listen. I want to tell you something. I am never going to be a slave to doctrine that somebody made up, that somebody thought up. Here's what we're bound to, the Word of God. So if I find out I've been teaching something for five, ten years, and I got it wrong, I'm going to come to you and say, I got it wrong. We're not a slave to some piece of paper that says this is what we believe. We are bound to the Word of God. So that's why everything we believe, we should be able to show you in the Word why we believe it. Here, he says, 
1 Corinthians chapter 14. I wish you all prayed in tongues, but listen to this. Wish you all did, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. So in this instance, he's talking about in the church. It's even better to have a prophetic word for somebody than just to talk to them in tongues. Because if they talk to the, if you talk to somebody in tongues, he just said, you're not building them up. Because they can't understand you. And unless you can understand me, how can you agree with me? And if you can't agree with me, how can you receive what I just said? Because guess what, guys? When someone prophesies over you, I believe in prophecy. And I've seen it come true in my own life. Almost spookily. Things you couldn't ever. I mean, there were, I mean, I remember times where God used somebody to speak to me, and it was like exactly the way I worded a question to God. He said it in exactly the way I said it to him. And I was by myself. How many times have we said to somebody who was preaching? Many of you have said it to me, I, not just here, but in other places we preached. You've heard somebody say, did you have a microphone in our car? How many times have you heard that? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there when you cry out to him. He's there when you talk. I had a lady just, just a, a month ago that, that was a foundation, a pillar of the church I was ministering in. And she came up weeping and said, you can't know, but what you preached was exactly the every single question I've been asking of God this week. You answered them all point by point. Well, that's because God loves you enough. Now, you may realize this, but there are those that will call you out. Barry, they'll call you out, and they'll put you up here, and they'll say, thus says the Lord, and they'll prophesy to you. But you have to realize that the Bible also says, let the one who speaks, in other words, the one that's preaching, speak as if God is speaking himself. So there's a reason that I didn't have to pull that lady out and say, thus says the Lord, here's this answer, here's this answer. God brought it through the sermon. So if you're waiting for somebody to say, thus says the Lord, before you believe it's prophecy, you're missing out on a lot of good stuff. One of the ways God's used me, and he all use, uses us all different, but I'm just using myself as an example because I can pick on me and not be afraid that I'll be mad at myself. But one of the ways that God uses me is to preach prophetically, is to preach, and, and, and through that preaching, answers come out that I don't even know or ask. But God will use you in a different way. God may use you in a different way. God may use you in the same way. But you need to receive the word of God as if it's a prophecy to you, because it is. The Bible calls it the prophetic word made more sure. A more sure prophetic word, this, this book right here. Now look, here's what it says. He says, greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So if I stood up here for an hour and just spoke in tongues, you would not be built up. Unless somebody interprets that message. That's why you've seen it in the church. When someone gives a message in, in tongues, someone's there to interpret it. That's godly order so that you can be built up. Now look what it says. But now, brethren, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, is if I came here and preached to you in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy, or of teaching. He says, yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, 
how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? See, God speaks your language, and he wants to give you a distinct sound that you can run, that you can follow. Oh, man, in this conference we were uh, just at, we learned a lot about the sound. That there's just, I mean, there's, there's just about God's sound and about getting on board with that. Boy, it was good. We didn't read from this, but this goes along right with it. With this just, I mean, there needs to be a distinct sound. Why? I mean, you think about it. These are people that understand ancient warfare. These are people that understand when a, when a horn was sounded, you know whether to charge, whether to receive, retreat, whether to stand your ground. You had to hear what everybody else is hearing so that we could move together. There's a reason you need to show up at church, and it's, there's many reasons. One is to encourage one another. One is to build each other up. The other is that there are times when God is saying, here's what we need to do, and we all need to hear it at the same time and do it at the same time and be in unity. Isn't it wonderful to be in unity? Because the Bible says one can make a thousand run away, but two can make ten thousand run away. God's method is supernatural multiplication, that we can do something by ourselves, but we can do so much more when we do it together. How will we do it together unless we hear the same sound? Unless we all hear, he's saying, charge, let's run at the same time. That's why they did the bugles in warfare. Because if you didn't do that, then people would be charging at different times. As the word got through the ranks, people would be running and breaking at different times. You don't need that. We all need to charge at once. We all need to retreat at once. We all need to stand our ground at once. Because we can do a lot more together than we could apart. Look what it says. Verse 8. He says, for if the bugle, so this is what we're talking about, the bugle that was used in, in, in military action. He says, if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? See, if I got up here and didn't preach to you in a language you could understand, how will you be prepared? How will you be built up? You got you to gotta understand what somebody's saying. If you don't understand it, if you say you're speaking English, but I still don't get it, ask questions. And maybe you ask me or maybe you ask somebody else that you know knows a little bit more than you, but be, be, be bold enough to ask those questions. And you know what? It's even better than asking people is to pray and say, God, I need understanding. You show me. The Bible says the anointing abides within you, is able to teach you all things. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in all the truth. Here's what he says. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue's speech is, that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? So the Corinthian church was so excited about being filled with the Spirit, about being able to speak in tongues, that they were getting up and people were talking half an hour, 15 minutes straight, just talking in tongues and then sitting down, thinking they were getting something done. He says, you guys... Nobody understands what you're saying. How will they know? How are they going to know when to run? How are they going to be built up? They don't even understand what you're talking about. You know, there are people that have read this where it says, in the church, I'd rather you speak in your own language. There are people that read that and, and think that somehow, if I pray in tongues in, in public, somebody's face is going to melt off. Like, they can't hear it, you know. It's terrible. It's poison. It's not. Let me tell you, if I stand beside you, Leah, and I just go, God, I thank you for all you've done. Oh, Lord, you're so good to me. I thank you for what you said to me on Wednesday night. And you know what you said. I, I'm just so thankful for that, Lord. I'm asking you to, to do what you've promised. I'm asking you, let me, 
That's not a prayer that I'm asking you to agree about. This is a personal prayer, right? Are you offended that you heard it? That I'm talking to God and you overheard it? Is that, does that offend you? No. So if somebody's praying in tongues, the Bible says they're talking to God. So it's okay. Don't get offended. They're not talking to you. You don't need to overhear every conversation. So if somebody's sitting next to you in church and they're praying in tongues, don't go, oh, we're in church, shut up. Because you know what? They can talk to God by themselves, and, and no one's face is going to burn off. No one, no one is, is going to say, you spoke the forbidden words in the temple of God. No, it's fine, but it's just not for you. But now if that person gets up, grabs a microphone, and looks you in the face and starts saying this stuff, unless they interpret it, you're not going to get anything out of it, and it's a waste of time. Well, thank you for that. Okay. Speaking tongues to you for 20 minutes. Thanks. Anything else? <laughs> Follow up? Yes. The only thing I have to add to that is do it or you'll die. <gasps> Please just tell me what it is I'm supposed to do. You see, you need to hear it in your own language. That's why God gave that miracle on the day of Pentecost. They gave it in, the, in their own language. But here, he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have somebody who hears it. And here's what the Spirit's saying. And God gives them an interpretation. They're going to interpret it in a language you can understand so that you can be edified. Look what he says. He says, so, unless you utter by the tongue speech which is clear, how will it be known what's spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world. And no kind is without meaning. If then I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be the one to, who speaks, a barbarian. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Do you know how the barbarians got their name, barbarian? It's probably simpler than you think. It was the, it was the Romans' way of, of mocking the way they talked. Because the Romans couldn't understand what they were saying. And it sounded like bar, 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 bar to them. So they began to just call them barbarians. Isn't that weird? You all are looking at me like, I'm going to look that up. But it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you made that up, you're fooling us now. No, I'm telling you the truth. It was there, I mean, it was, it, it doesn't come from a Latin root word. It doesn't come from a word for something else. It comes from them saying, bar, bar, bar. That's, it sounds like what they're saying. It's a hard, I mean, it doesn't sound like they're making any sense. It says, if, I, if they can't understand me, I'm like a barbarian to them, and they're like a barbarian to me. Verse 12, he says, so also are you, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, Seek to abound for the edification of the church. You need to pray. You need to seek that you can walk in the gifts that build the church up, not just the gifts that build you up. He says praying in tongues builds you up. But when I'm in the church, I want to build other people up too. So there's nothing wrong with me praying in tongues by myself. There's nothing wrong with me praying in tongues with other people around. But if I want to edify them, I need to talk to them. If I want to talk to God, then I can speak in tongues. I'm talking to God. But if I want to talk to you, I need to speak in a language you understand. Verse 13, therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in my tongue, my spirit prays. You're not babbling. You're praying. That's why it's perfectly fine to do this. But if, look, look what it says. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
Do you know that's one of the greatest things about praying in tongues is that when you don't, the Bible says in Romans 8, when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit knows how to pray. And He prays through us with groanings too deep for words. So thank God when my brain doesn't get it, my spirit gets it, and I can pray in other tongues. But when I'm with you, we have power when we agree. Right? Jesus said, if two or three agree, touching anything in my name, they'll have whatever they've asked for. There's power in agreement. And in order to agree with me, you have to know what I'm saying. So he says... In verse 15, what's the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit. Do you hear that? Don't be intimidated by somebody that doesn't believe this. I will pray with the Spirit. This also tells you, you know, some people say, oh, the only time I've ever, uh, people ever really should pray in the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit just takes over. And blah, 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 blah. You know, he just, he, just, he just possesses them and they, they, they don't know what they said and they're in a trance. No, he says, I will, which means I will. It's my, my will's involved. If I don't, I won't. <laughs> so you, you can't say, well, you know why I've never prayed in tongues? Because it sounds spiritual to say stupid things like this. But you know why I never pray in tongues? The Lord's never moved on me that way. You know why I never dance? The Lord's never moved on me to dance. No, you've never done those things because you were being disobedient. So you just think, oh, God didn't make me do it. But God didn't make you get saved. Fine, then. Don't eat until God makes you eat. Let's test this theory. Not when you get hungry, because that's you. Wait till he takes control, your eyes shoot in the back of your head, and you walk like a zombie to the table. Let's see if that happens. God could, God could do that. God can put someone in a trap. I mean, I've seen people who were in, got off in the spirit, didn't know what they were doing, didn't know what they were saying. That's completely possible. But there is a time when you have to apply your will to the word of God and say, I will do what you told me to do. I will pray in the spirit. I will pray with the mind also. How do you pray with the mind? speak in your own language. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with my mind. Today, you heard both of those in the worship service today. That singing with our mind is so that we all sing the same thing. But you notice there's a time when the musicians take off and the instrumentals take off and we begin to sing in the Spirit and you all in your own way worship God. And it's a sweet, beautiful sound to him. Thank God. I will do this. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit also, only. So look what this says. If I'm praying in the Spirit, what am I doing? I'm blessing. When I'm praying in other tongues, I am blessing. But if I only do it in tongues... How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? That means if somebody doesn't understand what you're saying, how can they say amen to whatever you said? You see, the reason he says this is because it's so important that when we pray together, we understand each other and we're able to say amen. 
But now if we gathered together and said, let's just spend 15, let's spend 10, 15 minutes ministering to the Lord. Let's just pray in other tongues. Did you know that God likes that too? He's not offended. But there's power when we agree. Now here's a side point. He says, how will the one who's ungifted say amen? I don't want to get too deep into this, but it sounds kind of like to me that those of us that speak in other tongues should be able to kind of get what's going on in the spirit and know what's going on in the spirit. You should be spiritual enough to say, I can't understand it, but I, I, my, my deep is crying out to that deep, and I get it, and I say amen to it. But that's another topic for another time. So he says, how will the, play, oh, the guy who doesn't understand you, how is he going to say amen? Doesn't this show you that it's so important that we do say amen? says, the only reason I don't talk to you in a language you don't understand is because at some point when I'm done talking, you need to have received something from God, and you need to be able to say amen to whatever I said. You need to be able to say amen to that prayer. You need to be able to say amen to that sermon. You need to be able to say amen, not to cheer me up. Guys, I don't need it. I have preached to groups of people that think amen makes you a crazy person. <laughs> Lifting your hands is the loony bin. It's easier to preach to walls because the wall does not scowl at me and tell me after, that was the best message I've ever heard. What? <laughs> you fooled me. Thank God they are where they are. God's bringing them out. We don't judge them. God loves them and they're moving forward. Praise the Lord, hopefully. They'll come, they'll come along, don't you worry. But it's not for me. I could preach without you saying amen. I don't like to, but I could. I don't need your encouragement because Jesus, because the Bible says if I was trying to get encouragement from people, if I was trying to get your applause, I wouldn't get his applause. So I, I'm okay with silence. I can preach to the wall and be okay. But here's the deal. We don't say amen just for the preacher. It does encourage a preacher. It does, it does let them know that they're getting through. So, you know, know that it, it is encouraging. But that's not the reason for it. You say amen because you've grabbed on to his promise and you say, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I was talking to Logan Byer the other day. Love Logan. Logan was in our Wednesday night service a few weeks ago and he said, I got so excited. He said, I got so pumped up when you were speaking. He said, I know, I know that there needs to be order in the church, but I just wanted to, to jump up and say, yes, I believe it. And I said, who said that's not God's order in the church? What kind of order are you talking about? I said, man, you should have got up and yelled. I mean, that's biblical. Clap your hands, all you people, shouting to God with a voice of triumph. I said, Logan, next time God tells you to do that, just jump up and do it. It's cool. It may not be man's order, but it sure is God's order. Now, if you got up and shouted so everybody pay attention to you, that's different. But if you got up and shouted because the Lord just, because it's so alive in you and you're embracing it, sometimes you have to shout. Because sometimes that breaks all of that unbelief in your life. All those times you said, I don't know. All that time you said, I don't know if I believe it. That one shout just seems to break you through the glass ceiling. And you're there and you say, oh, yeah. John Wesley, Brent, do you know what I'm talking about? John Wesley used to think 
that you just had to be constantly terrified. John Wesley was a minister who brought revival to England and revival to America. The Great Awakening was a, was a product of a little club. John Wesley, his brother Charles, maybe you know Charles from his songs, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's by Charles Wesley. John Wesley, his brother Charles, and a guy named George Whitfield used to get together at Bible school and have something called the Holiness Club. I wonder how well attended that might be today. <laughs> but anyways, but they got together and prayed and saw how to get further with God. And out of that came revival across England and a revival across America. The Great Awakening sprung out of that. The Great Awakening. Leaders of the revolution like Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry, the guy who said, give me liberty or give me death. That guy grew up in those revival services. His mom would take him to church, and he'd see the move of the Spirit, and it influenced him for the rest of his life. So that's cool. Here, John Wesley just never knew if you could ever know you were saved. Lived in constant terror that you may die and go to hell. Just do your best. But his buddy George Whitfield said, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can know. The Bible says you can have assurance of your salvation. The Bible says your faith should be in Jesus and not in you. So one time John's sitting in a service. And he's listening to George preach this. And George has preached it to him before, and he's gone, yeah, yeah, George, I'm just not quite there yet. And he's sitting in that service as George is preaching about salvation, preaching about the grace of God that's received by faith in Jesus. By faith alone are we saved. And John, all of a sudden, he gets it, and it clicks, and he jumps up. In this conservative Anglican church, he jumps up and says, I believe. Yeah. You've ever done something like that, and you go, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> he jumps up and yells, I believe, because sometimes things are so real in you, and to break those years of religion, to break those years of doubt, to break those years of skepticism, you just need to finally say, yes. Our amen is important to God and to each other. Verse 17. For if you are giving thanks, he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'll finish verse 16. How does he say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough. What is that saying? When I, when I pray in other tongues, I'm giving thanks. I'm blessing I'm edifying myself, I'm speaking mysteries of God, mysteries to God, and I'm giving thanks. Does this sound like this is a productive use of your time? Sounds like it to me. When you're praying in tongues, you're building yourself up. You're speaking mysteries to God, you're ministering to the Lord. You're blessing the Lord, and you're giving thanks. Sounds pretty good. It says this, you're giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. That's why we pray in our own language. Because not only through the preaching, but through prayer, we build each other up. So if we just go around talking to each other in tongues, you're not being built up. That's why we need to speak in our own language too. He says this, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. If it was such a bad thing, do you think he'd be saying something like that? I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. <laughs> However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Isn't that cool? 
Now, you can read the rest of it. There's a lot more on that subject. Go ahead and finish it. He says, I mean, we're just for the sake of time going to wrap this up. And he says, what's the outcome when you assemble together? If somebody speaks in a tongue, he says in verse 26, each one is a psalm, as a teaching, as a revelation, as a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be two or at the most three. This means if somebody gives up and gives a word in tongues, if it gets past three, it's going to be hard for somebody to interpret that and all us realize where it's coming from, right? He says, if you're going to do it, do it two, three at a time. Have somebody interpret. But if there's no interpreter, then keep, keep quiet because it's not going to do anybody any good without an interpreter. Thank God. He says, let him speak to himself. He says, listen to this. This is what he says. If there's no interpreter, you must keep silent in the church. Now, this translation makes it seem like you just got to shut your mouth. But look at what the next verse says. We're in verse 27 or 28. He must keep silent in the church and let him speak. Wait a second. You just told me to keep silent. And then you said, let him speak. How's that work? Am I talking or am I silent? What he's saying is, don't grab the microphone, dude. Don't get up and talk to everybody unless you know, unless somebody's there to interpret what you're saying. If you don't have someone, let him keep silent. Keep silent doesn't mean you have to just be super quiet. It means don't try to teach the church in tongues unless there's an interpreter. If you don't have that, speak to yourself and to God, which tells us, it's okay. Don't tell our other friends, but it's okay to speak in tongues at church. <gasps> it's encouraged. He says, let him do it. Don't stop him. Let him do it. <gasps> but I heard it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. You heard the forbidden tongue? It's not forbidden. The whole city of Jerusalem heard it. They didn't die. It blessed them. Don't you love the fact that when you actually read the Bible, it makes sense? You read the whole thing. You don't just pick and choose, but you actually decide, okay, I'm going to believe it. It starts to make sense to you. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says there will be a day that, that speaking in tongues is going to go away. Prophecy is going to go away. There are people that think that's already happened. You want to read that verse real quick? 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, we'll wrap up right away. He says in verse 8, he says, love never fails. You hear that? Love never fails. I, we had a, <clears throat> there was a girl that came, I used to work at a Christian bookstore, and there was a girl that came into the bookstore, she's getting married, and she wanted a marriage certificate. She wasn't really a believer. She wanted a marriage certificate, and I showed her one, and and on the bottom, it had this scripture that says, love never fails. And she said, well, I don't want that because it's not true. What? Because <laughs> sometimes you love and it still doesn't work out. Love didn't fail. People failed. Love never fails. And I don't want to get into the fact that her idea of love is like Disneyland love or Hollywood love. It's not the same love of God that lays its life down. That love doesn't fail. But the only way you get that love, that agape love, see, the love she's talking about is eros. The love she's talking about is a different word in the Greek. It's that romantic love, and that comes and goes. But the love of God doesn't say, you, if you love me, I'll love you. 
The love of God says to somebody that hates you, I still love you. That love never fails because that love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Look at this. He says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. He says, if there are tongues, they will cease. Now, if you think this has already happened, read the next verse. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 9. It's about to get weirder. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Has the perfect arrived yet? Mm Mm-mm. You see, if the perfect hadn't come, they're, they're, they're on the, this side of the cross when they wrote this. If the perfect hadn't come then, what makes you think it's here now? This world's not perfect yet. I said there is a day we're looking forward to. We talked about that earlier. There's a day when we will be face-to-face with Jesus and all will be made perfect. Look what it says. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. There's a message in itself. You can't be Peter Pan for the rest of your life. Grow up. (laughs) For now we see in a mirror dimly. (laughs) Put down the Xbox. Grow up. For now. (laughs) Somebody was like, oh, ouch. You can play it from time to time. Don't let that be your life. And if God tells you don't play it, put it away. If he tells you put it away forever, put it away forever. He says, and don't play trash. That's right, Josh. <laughs> that should be obvious, right? God help us. Look, he says, so he's about to talk about when the perfect comes. If you're asking when is the perfect, what's it going to look like when the perfect comes? We're going to see it right here. He says, here's what it's going to look like. He says, right now, we're like kids. But there'll be a day when we're not just going to speak like a child. Our native tongue is going to be the language of God. He says this, when I was a child, used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see. What does it say? Now. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Remember a couple of verses before he says we prophesy in part. We see in part. We know in part. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Just as I also have been fully known. That's the day that you won't need prophecy because you'll know it. That's the day you won't need tongues because you'll speak it. This is the day when the perfect becomes perfect. And guys, we're not there yet, but you can look forward to it. There will be a day when you know it all. There will be a day when you don't just see traces and and images and, and like a, looking into a mirror and seeing a reflection. There will be a day when you are face to face with Jesus. And you will know fully just as you've been fully known. As well as Jesus knows you, you'll know him. That's a day that's a coming up. And when it comes, you won't need to prophesy because you'll know. You won't need to speak in tongues because you'll speak. That day's not here yet. And since it's not here, God gave us gifts so that we can have a taste of that heaven right now on earth. 
So that even though we can't see what he sees, he reveals it to us. Even though we can't speak like he speaks, he uses our tongues to speak it. Don't you see? That day's coming. But this day is now where he's given gifts to men. And we need to walk in them. Thank God how important. But here's the deal. We need to know how to properly use those gifts. So that we can build each other up. And so that we can add our amen our amen, our agreement to that, so that a sound can be produced that's clear, so that we'll all run at the same time. Why did he say there needed to be a clear sound? Why, was the, why did the sound have to be clear? Why did the bugle have to be clear? So we know when to prepare, we know when to run, we know when to charge, we know when to retreat. What, what is this telling you? I could get up here and speak in tongues for an hour. The reason I speak to you in your language is so that you'll be edified, built up, and so that we can run together, so that we can agree together, so that we can move together, intent on one purpose, one heart, one mind, one soul, so that we get the vision that God has for this church and for Lloyd Minster and for Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Canada, and for the entire body of Christ, and that we can do it together. Isn't that awesome? Isn't God good to us? Hasn't he good to us that he would give us these gifts, that he'd say, oh, no, it may not be perfect yet, but I'm going to give you a taste of perfection. I'm going to let, you, you, let you experience what I experience. Thank God. So we say amen to God. But we also need to hear what God says through someone's preaching or teaching or revealing or someone's praying. You come on Monday night, there'll be times when people are praying in other tongues, and that's fine. But there's a reason we have a microphone here. If you've ever been to a Monday night prayer service, there's a reason we have a microphone here. It's so that somebody can get up and make a clear sound. They can pray out of the Spirit of God. And you see, it says pray with the mind, but where'd that come from? How'd your mind know what to pray? Come out of your spirit. Why is your mind involved at all? Because your mind knows English. Your mind puts that into words. So, when you come on Monday night, we pray, and someone may pray in the Spirit, and they may be over here praying in tongues, and that's fine. Your face won't melt off. They're fine. But when they grab the microphone, they pray in your language so that you can say, Amen. I agree. Because I agree, if you were praying alone, you could, you, a thousand evil spirits would run from you. But because we're agreeing together, 10,000 are going to run away. <laughs> so why do we have prayer on Monday night? Because we're going to see millions of evil spirits run away. Because something changes when we agree. You could pray at home. And some of you do. Some of you can't make it in. It's a long trip. You live out of town. Some of you, you know, say, oh, I'm going to pray at 7 o'clock Monday night, and I'm going to be in agreement. And, and God gets that. God understands that. But if you can be here, that's why it's so important that we do pray together. And you know what? It doesn't just need to be a church event. Get together, pray together. Spend time with each other and say, hey, we've had a good conversation. Can we pray together? Even better, before we have a conversation, let's pray together. And let's agree together. Man, if you're having a problem, if you're having an issue, then you need prayer, call your friends and say, I need you to agree with me in faith. Let's pray together right now. In fact, I found 
it's one thing to say, I'm, sometimes you're in a hurry and you're texting, I'll, I'll be praying, we're praying right now. There's many times you may not know, you'll text me and you'll say, we need prayer right now. You'll send me an email, you're, you'll phone me and say, I, I just need to tell you real quick, this is the issue. And my wife and I will drop what we're doing, we join hands and we pray for you right there. When I was on the plane with mom, and we had a couple of you with some prayer requests, we, we right then on the plane began to pray for you. So know that there, that, that goes on. There is a power when we pray together and agree with each other and say amen to what God is saying, to follow that clear sound and say, okay, I believe it. Yes, I believe it. Amen.